forging ahead on our mission of wanting to grow in our ability to pray according to God's will. And uh, the way that we're working towards that goal currently is by studying Paul's prayers as recorded in the pages of the New Testament. So Paul's New Testament prayers, being Scripture, are breathed out by God. And they are therefore perfect expressions of what it looks like to pray in accordance to God's will. They show us what, uh, what God wants us to pray for, and they show us how God wants us to pray for it. And so, as we've been listening in on Paul's prayers, we've been learning what to adore, what to appreciate, what to ask for, admonish, and amen in our own prayer lives. We've already seen what we ought to adore in our own prayers, and the answer is quite simply God himself. We ought to praise and worship God for being the God of all comfort, wonder, change, blessing, power, provision, patience, and deliverance. In other words, we ought to praise God for everything that he is in and of himself, every divine virtue and perfection that he possesses. We ought to adore God in prayer. Lately, we've been discovering what we ought to appreciate in our prayers, because prayer is not just where we always are using God like a vending machine, that I'd sure like something, but we're to come to God and actually thank him for the things that he has already done for us, which are countless and beyond number. It all begins, as we learned, with Christ. We ought to thank God for Jesus, for God's inexpressible gift. And then from that, we ought to thank God for every spiritual blessing that is found in Him. We've seen how we ought to thank God for the gifts of victory, grace, faith, hope, and last week we saw love. This brings us tonight to the sixth gift we ought to thank God for in Christ, and that is the gift of life. That is the gift of, if you want to put it this way, spiritual vitality. This comes from 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, where Paul writes, you know, it would help, be helpful if I got there too. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, where Paul writes this, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul offering up to God a prayer of appreciation, of thanksgiving for the gift of spiritual life that is ours in Christ Jesus. But before we look at his prayer any deeper or further tonight, let's ask the Lord to help us clearly understand his words so that we can put what it says to practice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for... The great privilege it is as your people to be able to open up your word and, and know that your spirit is going to help us understand the things that are freely given to us here in this book. Father, we thank you for how Paul, in his writings, wrote out prayers so that we might learn how to pray in according to your will. Father, I thank you that he showed us what to pray for. He showed us how to pray for it. And Father, I just pray that as your word does its work in our midst tonight, you would shape and fashion our own hearts and our own desires to desire to pray as you call us to in your word. Help us to become people of prayer as we've seen the disciples ask Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So here in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, Paul offers up a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the gift of spiritual life. He says, in essence here, if you were to break it down to its core elements, we thank God for you. Why? Because we remember your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the context, uh, and the context of this prayer is fascinating. You see, Paul uh, knew about the believers there in the Thessalonian church because he actually planted that church. Acts chapter 17 records this moment, and, and, and verses 2 through 3 of Acts 17 tells us that over a period of about three weeks, Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. In other words, Paul did what we strive to do as a church. He exposited the scriptures. He unfolded the meaning, the original meaning of the Old Testament in order to show others that Jesus was indeed the Christ. God's chosen one. To what result? Verse 4 of Acts 17 says, And some of them, that is the Jews, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. So that's who embraced Paul's message when Paul first came to the town of Thessalonica. A few Jews, a great many Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. And in fact, Paul references this very moment in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, just after our passage, where he recalls how the Thessalonians turned to God from idols, right? They turned from the idols, if you're thinking of the Jews and the Greeks, they turned from the idols of self-righteousness, they turned from the idols of selfishness, and they turned to serve the living and true God. The only problem is when you study Acts 17, verse 5 tells us that many of the unbelieving Jews grew jealous because they were losing their synagogue as Paul kept on preaching. And so they caused a riot that was so bad it caused Paul and Silas to have to escape into the night. As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.17, we were torn away from you, brothers. Can you imagine that? As I was studying this, I was just putting myself in Paul's place. Can you imagine going to a place and you preach the gospel and there is a great response to the message that you preach, and then you immediately have to leave all of those people who had just professed faith in Jesus Christ, and you have to depart to another place. Imagine all the questions and concerns that you would have had. Are they okay? What's become of them? Right? Are they still holding fast to Christ? What if they didn't really trust in Jesus? And it was all a show. Or even worse... What if they really did trust in Jesus and I never got the chance to teach them or disciple them? Man, I wonder how they are doing. We know that this is what Paul was thinking because he says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we sent Timothy, verse 5, to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul sends Timothy to find out how the Thessalonians were doing after Paul was ripped away from them after only three weeks. Well, Timothy comes back, as chapter 3, verse 6 says, and he brings them good news that their labor was not in vain. And so Paul gives thanks in these opening letters of, or opening verses of these letters, of this letter, and tells why he knew that his labor was not in vain. It was because Timothy had come back and he had received 
firm evidence that the Thessalonians indeed possessed genuine spiritual life. It is on the basis of Timothy's report of their genuine spiritual life that Paul gives thanks. So notice, Paul begins by saying in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Notice, Paul says that his prayers of thanksgiving for the Thessalonian believers were continual and they were comprehensive. First, after hearing Timothy's report, Paul was continually, he says, offering up prayers of thanksgiving to God. He says, we give thanks always and constantly we're praying, right? Paul's heart was just overflowing with thanksgiving to God over what he had just heard from his brother Timothy. They were continual prayers of thanksgiving. Second, Paul's prayers of thanksgiving for the Thessalonians were comprehensive. He says, we give thanks to God always for some of you. Is that what he says? No, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Not just some, but all. Paul was thankful for them all. Now that does not mean that the Thessalonians didn't have any problems in their church, right? That is not the case. Some of the Thessalonians were struggling and putting feet to the truth of what they did know from God's Word, as chapter 4, verse 1 indicates. Some of them were needing to grow in their own personal holiness and sanctification. He talks about that in in verses 2 through 3 of chapter 4. Some of them were needing to learn how to mind their own business and keep their noses out of other people's business, uh, as chapter 4, verse 11 indicates. And some of them were confused in their eschatology, thinking that Jesus' return was something that a believer could somehow miss out on and therefore not be saved from God's wrath to come, as chapter 4, verses 13 and chapter 5, 11 indicate. So there was a lot of issues that Paul was needing to address. There was a lot of confusion, a lot of things that made those Thessalonians, believers, different from one another. That's kind of understandable if there's only been like three weeks of reliable teaching from the Apostle Paul. But there was something that made them all the same and something that made Paul give thanks for all of them. And that is this, their common spiritual life. Their common spiritual life. Paul says that he, he's always giving thanks for all of them. Why? Because he's always, verse 3, remembering before our God and Father three things. Your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. See, every church is marked by something. And Paul continually gives thanks to God here because he found out from Timothy that this church was marked by spiritual life. And notice he mentions three gifts that are found in Christ that we've already studied as a church on Wednesday nights. He mentions faith, love, and hope. These are the three triad virtues of the Christian life that we see repeated throughout in the entire New Testament. Like in Colossians 1, verses 4 through 5, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. When Paul wanted to describe the Christian life, in summary, he mentioned faith, hope, and love. Again, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, later in this letter, he says, put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, right? So, Faith, love, and hope shows up in many other passages, most famously the one that you're probably thinking of is 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where it says, now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
So whenever Paul, in his writings, wants to summarize the entire Christian experience and life, he always breaks it down into three virtues. Faith, hope, and love. So Paul is thanking God for the Christian life that those Thessalonian believers were now participating in. He is thanking God for their faith and their hope and their love. But that is not all that Paul is thanking God for here. If it was, then I wouldn't be using a separate week to teach on this passage. I would have included this passage with some of the previous ones that we looked at. No, here, Paul is thanking God for more than just their faith, hope, and love. He's thanking God for more than just their spiritual life. He's thanking God, if you will, for the liveliness of their spiritual life. That their spiritual life was, you could put it this way, truly alive. That it was not a spiritual life that was hypocritical or fake, but it was genuine, it was real, and you could see that by how they lived out their Christian life. That their life was truly alive. And how did Paul know this? How did Paul know that their life was truly alive? It's because they possessed, the Thessalonians possessed the three essential features or distinguishing characteristics that always accompany someone who's been born again and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. If you are truly born again by the Spirit from above, you will be marked by these three characteristics. And what are those distinguishing characteristics? Answer, a faith that functions, a love that labors, and a hope that holds on. Those are the three distinguishing characteristics of a regenerated life. The three indicators that someone's spiritual life is truly alive. It has nothing to do with the date that you have written in the front of your Bible. It has nothing to do with the decision you made at a Christian camp sometime. It has absolutely everything to do with whether the life of Christ is being manifested in you through faith, hope, and love. A lively faith, a lively love, a lively hope. So a faith that functions, a love that labors, and a hope that that holds on are the three indicators that someone's spiritual life is truly alive. And so Paul rejoiced knowing that those Thessalonians possessed eternal life because they possessed first a faith that functions. Paul says, I give thanks to God as I remember. He says, notice, your what? What does it say? Work of love. Or work of faith, excuse me. Work of faith. Hopefully all of us are well aware of what Scripture teaches in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that it is by grace that we are saved through faith, and this is not of our own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast, right? Salvation, in other words, is not obtained by our good works. It is obtained by God's grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Praise God. That is how salvation is obtained. Yet we often neglect the very next verse in Ephesians chapter 2, which says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, we are, not, we, are, we, are, we are not saved by good works, but we are saved unto good works. That's the biblical gospel. It is by grace through faith unto good works. The evidence of genuine faith is not an intellectual assent, Right? It's not sitting there thinking, yeah, I can sign that doctrinal statement. I think that's right and true. That is not the evidence of genuine faith. The evidence of genuine faith is works. 
It's works. As Martin Luther once said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It is always accompanied by good works. That's why James says in James 2.17, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. And again in verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and that faith was completed by his works. And we see this, by the way, all the way through Hebrews chapter 11, if you want proof of that. It's a fascinating study, right? Abel, it's, all, it's the hall of fame of faith, right? But have you ever listened to it when you read through it? Abel offered. Enoch pleased. Noah built. Abraham obeyed and offered up. Isaac invoked. Jacob blessed. Joseph mentioned. Moses refused, chose, considered, left, and kept. See, Hebrews is not just... The hall of fame of faith. It is the hall of fame of functional faith. Of a faith that works. Of a saving faith. A genuine faith. Because faith, if it's truly alive, truly saving, is a working faith. It's a functioning faith. And that's why Paul gave thanks, because he saw true spiritual life. A faith that went beyond just mental assent. But it was a faith that was transforming the way they lived. How much has what you claim to believe as a believer actually changed the way you live? Because if it hasn't changed the way you live, Scripture says you don't believe it at all. Because genuine faith is functional faith. It is faith that works. Faith that works. So Paul gave thanks because with the Thessalonians, man, he saw their lives. What, what little truth they did understand. They were responding to it. It was changing their life. They had a functional faith, a faith that worked, a faith that functioned. Second, he saw a love that labors. Paul says, I give thanks to God as I remember your work of faith. And he says, labor of love. Labor of love. And the love that caused Paul to rejoice here. The love that indicates true spiritual life is not a sappy, sentimentality type of love. No, the love that the Thessalonians were exhibiting, the love that showed that their spiritual life was genuine, was a costly love, a painful love. That's why you see the expression, labor of love. It was a laborious type of love that the Thessalonians were showing. It was a strenuous type of of love. In fact, that word labor is kapos in the Greek. And you know what it means? It means to be beat up and troubled to the point of wailing and grief. That is true Christian love. To be beat up and troubled to the point of wailing and grief and yet still loving. Boy, that's convicting. This is the type of love that the Thessalonians had been exhibiting. Not simply a love for those that loved them, but a love even for their enemies, a love even for those who hated them and excluded them and reviled them, as Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 6. The Thessalonians were loving the unlovely. They were loving with the very love with which they had been loved, which was the love of Christ. This is how those who are born again love. True believers who are born again from above will not be characterized overall by bitterness and unforgiveness. Genuine, born-again believers 
will be characterized overall by a tenacious love that keeps on loving even when it produces wailing in the night. That's Christ-like love. As 1 Corinthians 13.4 and verse 7 teaches, love suffers long and is kind. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. True believers will agonize in their efforts to love others even when it hurts. So again, I just have to sit there and say, there is a fake type of Christian love that exists in our world, right? What do you see on Facebook and social media all the time? Someone mistreats you, you don't need that negativity in your life, right? Shut that door. Find people that can affirm how wonderful you are. That is not Christian love. Christian love is drawing near to the person, and I say this, <laughs> recognizing how much it hurts and how hard it is, but it is drawing near to the person who is hating you and reviling you and pouring out on their head acts of love and kindness. And the Thessalonians were showing that. They might not have known a lot, but they had evidence of genuine spiritual life. They had a love that labored that labored and that's why paul gave thanks because they had a faith that functions of love that labors and finally they had a hope that holds on see paul says i give thanks to god as i remember your work of faith and labor of love and he says this and steadfastness of hope notice their hope which we've talked about their confident expectation about the future was not a quiet or passive hope right uh their hope was an active hope. It was a steadfast hope that exhibited ruthless tenacity in the face of extreme difficulty. That is when you determine whether hope is real hope or not, right? That is when you see it is, it is when it is challenged by every circumstance of life. You can say, yes, I believe that God's in control, but wait until circumstances show you, make it look like he's not, right? You can say, yes, I know that all things work together for good, but wait until life seems to be falling apart then you will recognize whether someone has genuine hope or not. They had an active hope, a ruthless tenacity in the hope of extreme difficulty. Paul says later, if you study the rest of 1 Thessalonians, that the Thessalonian believers were suffering. He uses the word that they were being afflicted. He suggests that they were being killed. He says that they were enduring evil. And even though they... And even though they didn't understand everything about the future and what it looked like, as Paul writes about later, right, they still were maintaining a confident expectation about the future. Though their circumstances were difficult, they were clinging tenaciously to the person and the promises of God. They were remaining steadfast in their hope. They had a hope that held on. And so Paul gave thanks because... A steadfast hope is one of the signs of true spiritual life. Paul says over in Colossians 1.23 that we truly show ourselves as born again and sovereignly held in the hands of God if indeed, he says, we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we've heard. A hope that holds on is one of the proofs of genuine salvation. 
a hope that holds on is one of the proofs that God is holding on to you. And that's why Paul rejoiced when he, when he thought of the Thessalonian believers is because they showed signs of genuine spiritual life. They were showing a faith that functions, a love that labors, and a hope that holds on. That's an indicator of spiritual life. Because all those three things, those living, vibrant, and active virtues are only found where? It says, in our Lord Jesus Christ. People can show a fake type of faith. People can show a fake type of love. People can show a fake type of hope. But the only person who can demonstrate a faith, the only person that can demonstrate a faith that functions and a love that labors and a hope that holds on is someone who is in Christ Jesus. The functioning faith, laboring love, and tenacious hope, it's all found in Christ Jesus. Why? Because our life, our life is in Christ Jesus. What he's been describing is simply the eternal life that belongs to every single person who's trusted in Christ. If you have trusted in Christ, you have eternal life. And if you have eternal life, then you have a functioning faith, and you have a laboring love, and you have a holding on type of hope. Why? Because our life is in Christ Jesus. 1 John 5, 11-12 says this, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. Who gave it? God did. And this life is found where? In His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Present tense, not future, present tense. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So Paul, when he looked at those Thessalonians, he gave thanks to God because he saw an eternal life that only God can give and only God can grow. The only reason why those Thessalonians were exhibiting in their circumstances a living faith, a living love, and a living hope, that type of living life was because, as Paul says in verse 4, God has chosen you. You're in Christ Jesus. So Paul gave God what? Thanks. He gave God thanks. And we should too. We should join Paul in his prayer of thanksgiving for the gift of spiritual life and vitality. When we can look in our life and we can say, wow, like, my life has changed that I've been studying God's Word. Who deserves the praise for that? Answer? What? What? God. <laughs> and when someone mistreats us and reviles us and we feel within us that prone towards bitterness but instead we let it go and we forgive that person as God has forgiven us, who deserves the praise for that? God does. And when we go through difficult circumstances in life and everything in life seems to be screaming out that God's word is not true and God's person is not trustworthy and yet we hold fast in our hope. Who deserves the praise for that? God does. Because it is the eternal life that can only come from God. It's his life. As Paul says, I no longer live. It is Christ that what? Lives in me. It's him. So Paul gave God thanks, and we should too. We should join Paul in his prayer of thanksgiving for the gift of spiritual life. And I'd suggest applying this passage in two ways, as I was feeling convicted about it. (laughs) One, first let's ask God for this type of spiritual life to characterize and mark our body and our church, just as it characterized the Thessalonian church. 
Oh, it'd be, it'd be fantastic if God was to look at us and say, man, I can see the very things that Paul mentions here. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. It's the first thing that comes to mind when God looks at us. We should pray that that would be what our church is marked by. Let's ask God to make us a body that is marked by a functioning faith, a laboring love, and a tenacious hope because only God can give us that gift of spiritual life and cause it to grow. And second, let's thank God for this type of spiritual life when we see it in our body, and it is in our body. There are many examples we can praise God for, and we ought to do so. When we see among our members a faith that is functioning, when we see from one of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ a love that is laboring and a hope that's holding on, either in ourselves or in others, we ought to thank God for it because that is spiritual life that only comes from Him. All glory goes to God. Only He can give and grow this life. And so let's join Paul and ask and thank God for the gift of living spiritual life in Jesus tonight.